Hello, ghouls. Hi. How's it going? That's um, my that's my <laughs> ASMR voice, I guess. It was beautiful. It it's really nice. Me. Thanks, thanks. So, so what's new? What's happening? What's shaking? How's the weather? It's okay up here. Yeah, it hasn't been super hot. That I do miss like the super hot days from Austin. I know. Oof, you're a psycho. I know that's not something that you want to hear or agree with, but. You know, it, it's, I just want a few, like, really hot days. Uh, you know what? I respect you and your opinion, but I don't respect the heat. Yeah, this heat. <laughs> I get it. Is, it's, it's actually killer, you know? You got to be it, real careful I mean, out here. You do. You got to drink your Pedialyte, you know, gallons <laughs> of it. Not the Gatorades, mm-hmm. people. That's too much sugar. You need the Pedialyte with that yeah. zinc. You know, those extra electrolytes. Oh. You know? Yeah. Also, have you ever tried those water multipliers, liquid IV? No. They're, Sounds sus. No, they're like, it's supposed to make your like single water bottle be like three water bottles, basically. Um, oh, so it just have... has like electrolytes yes. to make sure that you're... Mm-hmm. So you're hydrated. Got it. But they have some that's delicious a, flavors. That's a very funny marketing <laughs> tactic. <laughs> I mean, triple your water. It, I'm. I drink enough water as it is, so I think I'm okay. But they actually help with headaches too. We okay. love it. So that's just a hot tip on the liquid IV. For the Stay hydrated, everyone. Not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if they want to sponsor us. Um, We'd love some. <laughs> <laughs> let us know if you like what we're doing. I'm feeling parched. Ugh, honestly, I actually am feeling a little parched. What are you going to do? All right. Well, shall we Shall we get into it? Absolutely. All right. We're the Golden Ghouls, Alyssa. Kylie. Emily. And it's time to get spooky. This week, we're heading to the great state of Vermont. Woo! What do you know about her? Kylie, you were just there. Feel the burn, baby. Yeah, Yeah. Bernie Sanders. They got Bernie. They've got Ben and Jerry's. They've got mountains. They've got UVM, the University of Vermont. They've got Lake Champlain, if y'all remember good old champ. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was just there for a wedding that happened to fall on my birthday. So I turned 32 in the old state of Vermont. Yeah. It's beautiful. It, it honestly is beautiful. You got it this. It is a gorgeous. Especially state. in fall. Come mm-hmm. on. Also, the Ben and Jerry's like factory or whatever they call it, the main Ben and Jerry's most magical place I've ever been after like Disneyland and Disney World. Really? <laughs> Do they just I give mean, away a bunch of free Ben and Jerry's all the time and that's why? Or is it like there's roller coasters? It neither. I mean, um, <laughs> no. No neither. It's just But it's it's a on vibe. a nice hill. It's a definitely a vibe. Oh okay. It's just like on a pasture. They have the tours. You can I think you can sample flavors. You can, I think buy. so. There's yeah. also a graveyard for the yep. like flavors that have been discontinued. 
Adorable. Mm, love it. Which is funny. So if you're into that sort of thing. Much respect. Mad respect. You know, they're they're paying tribute and honoring those fallen flavors. <laughs> <laughs> the fallen flavors. We lost some good ones. Yeah, we lost some good did. ones. Yeah. You want me to kick it off? Kick it. Why not? Let's do a little kick. Yeah. Well, as we know... New England has many interestingly named cities and states and regions, mostly based on Native American tribes. We're going to Queechee Inn at Marshfield Farm. Queechee is spelled Q-U-E-C-H-E-E. You might think Queechee or Queechee, but no, it's Queechee. It's so good to know. Quichi, yeah. I don't want to get it wrong. No. No, you can't get it wrong. You can't get it wrong. But this inn is adorable. Almost as cute as Ben and Jerry's, Uh. if you Google. So this old Quichi Inn at Marshland Farm was built in 1793, so quite a long time ago. Yeah, she's old Mm -hmm. and cute. She's old. (laughs) And it had a few different owners, And with that said, a long history of paranormal activity. So the inn was originally built as a residence for Colonel Joseph Marsh, who was the first governor of Vermont. So they they had a nice, happy life there uh, until the wife passed away, sadly, and then Joseph passed away likely of a broken heart which is very sad they say that is a real thing it is i could totally i feel it i feel that i think i could i (laughs) think i could pass away from that yeah you know i mean i could pass away for many reasons but well it's just true that's up there you never know Mm -hmm. what will take us out (laughs) so after uh their passing their son daniel marsh um took the inn into his own name. So remember that name, old Danny Marsh, for something I'm going to talk about later, all right? He sounds familiar. I know, I was about to say. Old (laughs) Danny. The inn was later purchased by John Porter in 1845. He and his wife Jane, another name to remember, lived there until they passed. Since then... Over the past hundred or so years, the inn has expanded to 22 guest rooms, guest rooms, excuse me, three suites, and a grand dining restaurant. It's very quaint, very cute. It's in um, a very scenic area. If you're looking for a haunted inn, I would definitely recommend Quichi. The inn in 1992 commissioned writer Deborah Doyle Schechtman to basically write a history on the inn. So she did, she may have been a historian as well, um, but she produced Home and Hearth, Field and Plow, a brief history of the Queechee Inn at Marshland Farm. (laughs) And over the past 20 or so years, it has 30, almost 30, it has been updated. Um, So truly the facts don't get more legit than this, folks, all right? So the first story involves a couple staying in room six during their honeymoon. The new bride was a self-proclaimed psychic, and she began to experience 
excruciating headaches shortly after she and her husband checked in. Is this about Alyssa? I was about to say, is is this this Alyssa and Steve? Is this about my wedding weekend at my haunted hotel? This is Alyssa and Steve. (laughs) We're just going to name this woman Alyssa because we don't have her name. So it's Alyssa from now on, folks. I'll accept it. So a few days after staying at the hotel with her husband, Alyssa asked the innkeeper... (laughs) Barbara to switch rooms due to seeing a cloud-like apparition. Barbara was like, all right, I know what you're talking about. And what you're seeing is the spirit of Mary. And then Alyssa was like, yes, I'm aware. I'm a psychic. (laughs) This is Alyssa. She was like, yes, thank you, Barbara. I am aware. (laughs) So Mary hung around the inn during the 1830s and 40s, and had allegedly once been locked in room six, possibly by her husband for being, and I am not kidding, too vanilla in bed. (gasps) What? For real? Yeah. I guess she was very Yeah. She was a little she was a little bit vanilla. She was a little uptight. She had anxiety. I don't know what else was going on, but clearly the husband was also abusive. So much so, Mary, to this day, is still afraid to leave the room. Oh, my Lord. Wait, she died in that room? Um, We don't know where she died. Oh, okay. But she certainly haunts the room. Right, okay. So according to the bride, Alyssa, Mary showed no hostility. She was just very sad. So the author and historian, Deborah, tells us that the psychic bride, Alyssa, also stated uh, that she learned and was told by Mary uh, that Mary experienced the lives of the people who stayed in her room. And then Alyssa was like, you know what? Let's try to free this hoe. Like, let's get her out so that she can no longer be sad, so she's not stuck, so she can move on. And so Alyssa and her husband tried to exercise Mary by playing music um, they also attempted to communicate with Mary's father from the spirit spirit world, uh, trying to get him to encourage his daughter to leave the earth plane. But Mary still did not leave. We know this because a former inn employee claimed to have seen Mary standing at the foot of the stairs outside of room six on a very quiet fall night during the early 1980s. This employee also mentioned feeling Mary's presence, even when they could not see Mary. They had a feeling of being watched or of having someone pass by in the hallway when there was no one else around. And this was always near room six. So Deborah goes into detail of um, any Marys that could have been associated with the early years of the inn, and she couldn't quite find um, an identification of who the spirit could possibly be. The only information she had was from the psychic as well as um, the innkeeper, Barbara. She did, however, um, wonder if there was a correlation with uh, Marion Marsh, who was wife of old Danny. Remember Mm, old Danny who took over the inn once his parents died? Mm -hmm. Marion, perhaps a nickname, Mary for Marion? Oh, yeah. You know? It's oh, yeah. She was. Oh, most definitely. That's all I was going to you know? say. 
So is it possible that maybe old Danny wasn't wasn't too nice and he, you know, locked Mary slash Marion in, in room six? Much to think about. Much to think about. Much to think about. So I have another story. And this one is a primary source, people. So we had to include it. And I'm just going to read um, her story. But this is from paranormal blogger and traveler, Ghost Lady 333. Ooh. Likely not their birth name, but who's <laughs> to say? Who's to say? She has a wonderful um, site. She she travels to every state and she'll, she writes um, reviews on places that she's stayed and any encounters that she's experienced. So she visited the uh, inn and she encountered Jane. Do you remember me saying... Don't forget about Jane. Yeah. <laughs> so Daniel, after Daniel and Marion moved out, um, the inn was then taken over by John Porter and his wife, Jane. So now I'm going to read from um, the blog. So John and wife Jane lived there long enough to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary in 1881. John died five years later, and then Jane passed away in 1900. Most of the spectral activity at the end takes place around rooms one through six, which are the rooms that long ago encompassed Jane Porter's parlor and her study. When I went to the inn, the innkeeper, Shirley, was very gracious about sharing some of the odd things that have happened there. A former maintenance man was doing work, fixing the floor near room three, and he finally sought out Shirley to ask if anyone was in room three. She reconfirmed that the room was vacant. There was no one there. He insisted he heard the door opening and closing and then would hear footsteps. Another time, Shirley and the maintenance man were up most of the night in a last-ditch rush to finish some painting near the dining area. Around 2 a.m., each felt like someone was watching them, and they each had the hair-standing-up-on-your-neck feeling for a while before one of them finally spoke up. To the other's relief that they were not crazy. <laughs> they then heard whistling in the area of the bar. On top of all this, the phone's internal network testing system activated by itself with distinct with a distinct odd noise and flashing lights. That would scare me. <laughs> <laughs> one guest came down from her room one night unable to sleep. As she walked across the main entry hallway to go into the common room to read, she saw a woman walking toward her from the dining room. When the guest looked that way again a second later, there was no one there. Her description to staff the next day matched Jane Porter. The staff, think, the staff thinks it is likely that Mrs. Porter still strolls around, checking on her house. In room nine, guests hear people walking above them, although it's just a storage area. One couple said the footsteps were outside their door as well, and someone seemed to be trying to turn the doorknob. At the time, they were the only ones in that wing. They also felt cold spots in that room. There are other spirits at the inn as well, including a boy thought to be Patrick Marsh, who plays tricks on people, hiding items and then returning them sometime later. He's also believed to be responsible for the occasional lights or TVs going on and off. So these are only a few supposed ghosts at the inn. 
If you're going to Vermont, I dare you to visit the Queechee Inn. Let us know if you encounter anyone else. Alyssa will be there <laughs> as the psychic bride. Yeah. And she'll lead the way. She, she'll she do what she can. It's such a tight title, the psychic bride. Right? Ooh, yeah. Love it. Although you got to really, change your Instagram handle. You're only a bride for like one day, so. No, you are forever a bride. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes I see on social media, <laughs> they really stretch it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that's not my jam. I do it's see not, people do no. that, though. You're not. You pay like a that lot of money for wedding photos, so I get it. Oh, absolutely. I get it. But <laughs> no, couldn't be me. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I'm, I'm up for some spookiness next. Okay. I'm taking it upon myself. I don't know what that weird introduction was. <laughs> We're heading to Woodstock, Vermont. All right. Woo woo. And let me tell you, we're not stopping at one place in Woodstock because the whole town has something going on. Shit is spooky. It's a party place. Right, so it's a tiny little place with a population of just under 3,000 people as of 2018. So it's she's she's small. That's smaller than my high school. Being the picturesque little town that it is, my goodness gracious, it has become a popular spot for tourists. They visit to see this adorable little town square, the gorgeous fall foliage, which Mm -hmm. I mean to die for in Vermont, those beautiful leaves. And then just to experience that small town feel, you know, get away from whatever big city they're coming from and just escape. Ah. Wait, is this is where Woodstock happened, correct? No, that was Woodstock, that's New, New York. York. Oh, this okay. is Woodstock, Vermont. We're close, though, so that's yes, what confused yeah. me. Vermont, New yeah. York. Just a little drive, Just, honestly. Uh, two Woodstocks, yeah. so close. Yeah. yeah. So near. It's true. You think that, well, I don't know what that theory I was about to say was. Scratch it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, we're going to travel back in time to 1834. So the eldest son of the Corwin family fell ill, very, very Mm -hmm. ill. He turned pale, his appetite disappeared, and as the days passed, he showed less and less movement. He was just losing all bodily function until he finally passed away. Just six months after they buried him in Cushing Cemetery, his younger brother was struck with the same affliction, the paleness, the loss hmm. of appetite, the just like losing body mass and the ability to move. He was gone to. So prominent physicians of the time, Dr. Joseph Gallup and Dr. John Powers of the Vermont Medical College came to examine him, um, searching for a cause or cure. That's when rumors of vampirism spread amongst the townspeople. So their fear was that the elder son was rising from the grave to drain the life from his brother. So the townspeople are all chatting about this. It's so small now. I can't imagine how many of them there were back then. They all got together and they devised this plan. They gather at the cemetery to dig up the elder Corwin boy. Wow. Yes. Um, So at this time, vampire panic was alive and well in New England. 
And the people of the town were very familiar with methods for dealing with the undead that people had been passing around. So um, some of the less insane things that people would do, still pretty nuts, but not as bad as what we're going to get to. Um, One of their plans was to turn the body over in the grave. This was a common and more innocent solution. So instead of them being on their back, they'd be laying face down in the grave. Okay. Which, I mean, not ideal, but better than, you know, some of the other stuff we're going to get into. But uh, many people resorted to burning the organs of the deceased or decapitation to prevent them from coming back. Mm. So for the people of Woodstock, their plan was to examine the heart. So they dug up this poor Corwin boy, had an autopsy done on the heart. Um, It showed that there was still fresh blood in it, even though he'd been buried for six months, which I don't know if that's normal. That doesn't sound normal, but someone who knows anything about the body, tell me. (laughs) Yes. So they removed it. They took it to the village green and they burned it for everyone to see. Wow. Okay. Yeah, pretty wild. But today, the legend of vampires in Woodstock is still alive, although there's actually no record of the Corwin family in the town history. So people ask, was this all make-believe? It's very likely. Because. So there was a documented account of an 1817 outbreak of tuberculosis, also known as consumption, Um, which seems to indicate that this was likely like just talk of the town and not not really what took place. But there was a Dartmouth College student, Frederick Ransom, who was from South Woodstock, and he actually passed away of tuberculosis on February 14th of 1817. And according to his younger brother, Daniel, the family had a susceptibility to tuberculosis, which he had seen many times before and resulted in loss of appetite, the pale appearance, weakness and fatigue, all which were telltale signs of what people were saying was vampires. Yes. I see. Um, Daniel wrote later on, it was said that if the heart of one of the family who died of consumption was taken out and burned, others would be free from it. And father having some faith in the remedy, had the heart of Frederick taken out after he had been buried and it was burned in Captain Pearson's blacksmith forge. So the tuberculosis, like burning of the organs thing, Hmm. transferred over to the vampire, like killing Uh thing. So that is likely what was actually going on with these Corwin boys. Mm-hmm. was tuberculosis and then people are just like vampires so so tb is the possible origin story of vampires, of vampires. <laughs> could be i i have to ask though do you the vermont vampires think that vampires at any point in time were real or are real i mean i mean i can picture some fangy boys you know I, yeah there was probably I'm, somebody out there like you know I'm so intrigued. Well, there's got to the, be more history to this. That's the one that's well, always got me scratching my start in like head. Romania or Transylvania or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is the start. Right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe one time we'll do a vampire episode because now I'm very intrigued. Okay. Let's do but, it. I mean, I've always if, been intrigued, but I do always ask people if they believe that vampires ever existed. And I don't know what I think. So, you know what? And if we, if anyone knows a lot about vampires or knows somebody who yeah. knows a lot about vampires, let us know. Maybe we can have like a vampire expert guest on the Ooh, show. Ooh, yeah. I'm intrigued, very intrigued. Because clearly we know nothing about No. <laughs> it's not my area of expertise. Ghosts, I could tell you all day. Vampires, not not a clue. Only what I've seen in the movies and like exactly. weird little one-off shows like Dark Tourists where they m- interviewed people who are today's vampires, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so sadly for the uh, Ransom family, the burning of Frederick's heart, that drastic measure failed them because Daniel's remaining family was wiped out by tuberculosis um, and the fear of vampires raged on. So pretty crazy you know, stuff. Wow. You know what uh, keeps keeps us from dying of TB now? What? vaccines oh, <laughs> it's true but uh yeah vampire lore is not all that woodstock has to offer us let me tell you there have been numerous spooky sightings and phenomena around town so to name a few we'll start with this one there was a hearing at the windsor county courthouse that was halted mid-session when the door behind the judge's bench swung open and closed on its own hmm. The whole room went silent. Seconds later, the jury room door also swung open and shut on its own. Silence settled in the room again until the doors flew open once more, this time in reverse. So the judge at the bench looked out at the people within the courtroom and simply said one word, ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah. And everyone was like, uh, okay, shit. <laughs> I was going to say something like s- dismissed, you know, uh, like, yeah. let's get out of here. Right. No, imagine sitting in the courtroom and the doors just start fucking flinging open <laughs> and there's no one there. I would, I would be like, I'm gone yeah, Goodbye here. for the opportunity to do whatever this was. And I'm out of here. But people have also said that when they're left alone in the building, they have seen uh, apparitions, heard very distinct voices and footsteps filling the otherwise empty halls. So something is going on at the local courthouse for sure. Next up, we have Bentley's restaurant where uh, people have heard phantom cocktail parties happening. There have also been instances where chairs have been tossed and moved about the room. Glasses have been thrown and even money has flown straight from the register and into the air, just raining down. So I would like to Ooh. be there for that particular that event. Yeah, raining down into my pockets. Yes. <laughs> Rain on me, as Lady Gaga Rain said it. Mm-hmm. on me that song has been in my head a lot lately and i'm not sure why because it's not like it just came out but yeah it's not a bad song to have in there no it's not (laughs) steve was actually singing it the other day and he was like where did i hear this song (laughs) you're like me he was like who even sings this song 
What a guy. <laughs> the psychic bride. Tis me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, one witness who saw objects flying about the room actually ran out, locked the door, and refused to ever set foot in the restaurant again, which honestly, objects flying is not, that's not a haunting that I want to witness. So I understand no. that. Others have seen a young girl sitting on the stairs to the upper floor. Um, She's also seen running, laughing, and disappearing into, quote, nothingness when they follow her. Jealous. So they they follow the trail, and she just vanishes. And she's gone. And she's gone. Goals. And then over at the Woodstock Historical Society, which I feel like all historical societies have to be haunted. I think that's just a rule. Mm -hmm. But employees and guests alike know that the museum's antique piano is not to be touched. So when an employee saw a woman seated at the bench playing, she reached out to stop her. And just like that, the woman vanished like a wisp of smoke, she said. Bruh into thin air. (laughs) It actually took the museum director over an hour to calm the employee down. She was shaking and sobbing hysterically because she watched a woman disappear into thin air right before her eyes. I'm sorry. I hope she said, I hope she said, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Once it happened. Yeah. But yeah, apparently there's a little ghost who likes to to touch on those keys. So she's got to be stopped because it's <laughs> it's no touching zone. Wow. And there all you right. have it. Woodstock, New York. It's got it all. Uh, Vermont. Also, the the inn, I want to say it might be called the Woodstock Inn, offers ghost tours. So okay. they take you around the town. They tell you about the haunts, the vampires, and everything in between. So if you do go to Woodstock at any point, hit it up. Take that ghost tour. Sounds good. Let's do it. I love a ghost tour. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, finish us out here with a rather spooky tale of a pretty spooky farm called the Eddie House, you guys. Oh, And you're not even ready for what I'm about to tell you. Because there are three mediums living in this home, y'all. And they've been spooking up the town for years. Damn, I want to go there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. This is in Chittenden. (laughs) I hope I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) I think it's Chittenden. Chittenden? I can't say that. Chittenden? Chittenden. Yeah, okay. I think it's said, I think you just, yeah, Chittenden. Rolls off the tongue. In Vermont. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) But this farmhouse, you guys, it was home to the Eddies, okay? And in 1874, all the town gossipers, the newspapers, they were spreading stories about these strange happenings at the Eddies farmhouse. Like some Hmm. weird shit was going on there, and they were talking about it. Even the spiritualist newspaper, which this was a... um, it was called the Banner of Light. It was like a spiritualist newspaper of the time, which I don't know what to compare it to these days, but 
Yeah, well, spiritualism isn't a thing. Like, yeah. I mean, it is, but not at the same level. So I feel like there's probably nothing like that. Maybe just a sort of like a paranormal like magazine or something. There you go. Exactly. Maybe like a paranormal podcast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. That's fair. <laughs> Kylie, you're so smart. What are we going to do? <laughs> but you guys, this newspaper that was like a big newspaper of the time called the Banner of Light, it was even talking about these these siblings, the Eddies, Damn. that were apparently conjuring up some crazy stuff. Ooh. And so all this, this word was going around town, around Vermont, and this homie named Henry Steele Occult was like, no freaking way, dude, because if this shit's real then that's like the greatest discovery of our lifetime. You know, that Mm -hmm. these three siblings have these crazy powers and they're conjuring up spirits, right? So he was like, I got to figure this out. And Henry Occult was a pretty smart guy at the time, I guess. He was (laughs) a, he received a international recognition for his work in model farming and even founded a school for agriculture students all in his early 20s. He enlisted in the Union Army and was a special investigator who even was a part of like a three-person panel that investigated the assassination of President Lincoln. And then after the war, he went on to study law and became a really wealthy, successful attorney. So like he was kind of a big deal of the time. And he was very interested in figuring out these Eddie siblings. He was like, what is going on here? Everybody's talking about it. There's some graphic descriptions of them conjuring spirits in their home. Like, let's, we got to get, go there and figure it out. So he got his friend, um, Kappas, uh, to come with him. And Kappas was going to help a cult, you know, figure out this story of the Eddies. So here's where, where I'm going to tell you about these siblings, because they have a pretty crazy story. When he first met the two brothers, there's two brothers and a sister, Horatio and William, who were, uh, they were middle-aged, illiterate men, so didn't speak very well. They apparently sounded very New England-like, and they could barely, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. They couldn't speak very well. They sounded pretty New England. That's what it said. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even really know what that means, but I guess they couldn't understand them very well, and so... They did the best they could, but they also had this sister named Mary who she was a little more literate, I guess. Um, But so they met the brothers and they were like, these guys are really unruly. They're really kind of rude, not friendly, but, you know, they seem to know what they're talking about. So they learned about their story more. And it turns out that the brothers and sister were actually descendants of a long line of psychics. Oh, Mary Bradbury, a distant relative, had been convicted of witchcraft in Salem in 1692. Mm -hmm. That's one of their relatives. She ended up escaping the village with the help of friends. So she didn't, you know, she survived. Their own grandmother had been blessed with the gift of second sight and often went into trances, speaking to entities that no one else could see. Their mother, Julia, had been known for frightening her neighbors with predictions and visions. And her husband, who is their father, Zepania, 
he often like condemned her powers and was like, she's doing the work of the devil. So Julia learned pretty quick to just hide that so she wouldn't be abused by the dad. Yeah. But he was a really bad man, Sepania. He, um, once the couple had children, these strange happenings around the kids started to happen like immediately. The house huh. would shake. They would hear disembodied, <laughs> disembodied voices. Um, occasionally, the children would even vanish from their cribs, and they would and go where they would be discovered somewhere else in the house or even outside. <laughs> Just like okay, it's messed up. Uh, William and Horatio, as they got older, their powers began to strengthen even more. And on occasion, the dad, Zipania, would see the boys playing with unfamiliar children out in the yard who would eventually just vanish out of nowhere. Unfamiliar children? Yeah, who is that? Hard pass (laughs) on that. (laughs) But the dad would get so mad about these unfamiliar children vanishing, he would beat the boys. Yeah. Ew, he's a nasty, nasty He's man. a nasty old man, yeah. He would take a rawhide whip as punishment and... No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the boys obviously grew to, like, hate their dad, right? And they... Mm, yeah. I mean, even in school, though, they were unable to... Uh, uh, eventually, they couldn't attend school anymore because there were things going on in the classroom that caused chaos with the teacher and the other students. There was things like invisible hands throwing books. Or, oh, my God. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, or levitating desks and stuff like rulers, inkwells, and slates would fly about the room. Mm-mm. It was like what Matilda. <laughs> inkwells. What a messy time to be uh, levitating shit. I know. When well. inkwells were the way that we were writing. <laughs> and the teachers, they, like, couldn't handle it, obviously. So they were like, Horatio, William, you guys got to go home, you know? These poor kids. I know. And you know when they went home, Zepania was not having it. Mm-mm. He even took to his friend who was a Christian at the time and decided to free the boys of this. They would douse them in boiling water. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my God. And when this didn't work, he also allowed his friend to drop a red-hot coal into their hands to try to exercise these devils. But the boys would never awaken from their trances. And so instead of that, they just had scars all over their body. I wonder if they were not necessarily, like, illiterate, but, like, hard to understand because they had, like, brain damage. I mean, probably. I mean, yeah, they... Trauma. Yeah, lots of trauma. No schooling. So Zipania, um, obviously was terrible, but he got so tired of trying to exercise these boys that he just decided to make them um, into money, you know, making machines. And so he sold the Eddie brothers to a traveling showman who for the next 14 years took them all over America, Canada, and Europe. But this was not like a vacation for the guys because the audience members as a part of the performance, they would challenge the audience members to try to awaken the boys from their trances, kind of like their dad would try to do. And, but, but they were even worse than Zipania. Like 
these boys would be locked into small wooden boxes to see if they could try to escape. And they would pour hot wax into their mouths to see if they could try to pronounce the spirit voices. What the fuck? Yeah. The skeptics would poke and prod and punch the sleeping brothers, leaving (gasps) them even more scarred and damaged for the rest of their lives. And on several occasions, they were even stoned and shot by angry mob members. Oh, my God. Yeah. William Eddy bore a number of bullet scars on his body. So it was not good. But... That is so sad. Yes. Finally, their father, Zepania, did die, and the boys were able to return home where they moved into the family farm with their sister, Mary, and they ended up opening the farmhouse as an inn, which they called the Green Tavern. And here is Mm -hmm. where they began to really you know, use their powers and join together and, you know, do their seances in peace almost, you know, but they got a lot of attention of the town because obviously spiritualist newspapers started writing about it. So on Occult's first day, we're going back to Henry Occult because he came in and he's like, let me see these guys at work, you know? So he came in and he said that his first seance was an outdoor seance and it was in the moonlight on a warm summer evening. And there was a group of at least 10 participants that traveled down this long ravine to do this seance in this natural cave. It was formed by two large stones that looked like they had collapsed on one another. So it made like an arch. And they later learned that it was called Honto's Cave in honor of a Native American spirit that they said would often appear there. Horatio Hmm. was the medium of this particular seance, and he sat on a camp stool underneath the arch and was draped in a makeshift spirit cabinet, which was formed by shaws and branches that had been cut from, like, some small stuff around the cave. Um, as Horatio rested there, he began his trance and immediately, apparently, a Native American emerged out of the darkness of the cave. Yo. Yeah. And then someone cried out and pointed up towards the top of the cave and standing right there was a, was another gigantic Native American and another spectral female materialized on the other ledge. And during this seance, like 10, 10 people or something showed up. So a lot Whoa. of people came out of this cave. Occult found that in the seance, it was it was totally had to be real because he looked everywhere to try to see where where Horatio could have came up with these people or like footsteps in the in the dirt. Like, did anybody come through the woods or anything like that? Nothing was found. Like he couldn't find any mirrors. He couldn't find your, like, typical magic trick stuff out there. But he was still like, okay, let's go inside. Because in a more controlled setting, like, maybe I can catch you. So we pretty much did the same thing. They had this seance room um, in their home that was, like, a circle room. And he was convinced, like, somewhere in the walls or flooring there were, like, trap doors or something. But, you guys, nothing. And there were as many as 20 or 30 spirits that would come through each night. They would do a seance a night except for on Sundays. Yeah. 
And these people like varied in ethnicity. They varied like in their costumes. There was no way Horatio, William and Mary were like bringing in all these people through trapdoors or mirrors. And if they were both William and Horatio were illiterate, right? So like they were speaking all sorts of languages, Russian, like one lady came in and talked to her husband who was Russian, who had been dead. Mm -hmm. Like, how could they have done that? You know? Anyways, to to ma- to wrap it up a little bit, a cult found after these like week long stay with the Eddie siblings that they had to be real. There was no way they were making this up. They, you know, so much stuff happened in those times of trances and the seances. There were, you know, physical objects being moved around, spirit paintings. Spirits were painting. Crazy. That's pretty sick. There were there were <laughs> spirits writing. They were prophesizing. They were speaking in tongues. They were healings, unseen voices, levitation, remote visions, teleportation. I mean, there was a lot that happened. And occult saw all of this. Who we know is a very reasonable man for the time. Mm-hmm. Good point. So, yeah, the Eddie siblings they they went on like this forever. Eventually as brothers and sisters do, uh, you know, you kind of get annoyed of each other at some yeah. point. <laughs> so they separated ways. Um, their bickering and their feuding had driven them apart. Horatio ended up moving out and he took a home across the road where he took up light gardening and occasional seances and would do magic tricks for the children. <laughs> You're a guy. What a guy. <laughs> Mary moved nearby uh, to a nearby village of East Pittsburgh, where she became a full-time professional medium. And William dropped out of the public life altogether and became a very bitter recluse on the family farm, where Aww. he, um, Eddie... The first that Eddie's to die was Horatio, but William ended up living until he was like 99 oh, and dang. died October 25th, 1932. That, wow. I feel like that's old for back then. It's very old. Yeah. Um, but the house, the farmhouse is still there. It's been turned into a ski lodge and in a lot of different things. So I'm sure you can still go see it. And I'm sure there's a lot of spooky things still going on there. You know? Oh, Yeah. Whoa. I want to go. Yeah. It's a long one, but wow. it's crazy. No, that's really cool. It At first, it was reminding me of the Fox sisters who were, like, big in the spiritualist movement, mm-hmm. but they turned out to be, like, full of shit, yeah. whereas it sounds like the Eddies were the real deal. The real deal. That's what they say, dude. I mean, wow. Henry's still a cult. He was there watching it, trying to disprove him the whole time. Damn. Couldn't figure it out. Would you guys be opposed to us dedicating this episode to the Eddies? No, no. I wouldn't. They suffered, dude. That was a hard life. Yeah. God, what a tragic life. I, too, though, I bet that that, like, kind of suffering almost in a way, like, made it easier to communicate with the mm. other side, if that makes sense. In my mind, it does, and I can't find the words as to why, but I feel like, whew. Seems possible. Well, because it's, like, to me, it kind of feels like, you know how, like, 
adolescents have a lot more like spirit activity going on because they have all this emotion and all this like you know stuff going on within them I feel like it it could very well be the same as an adult who has like a lot of emotion going on and Mm -hmm. spirits can kind of like feed on that and good point it's heavy wow 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 heavy but yeah I hope they're they're resting in peace me too free from the pain of the real life that they led Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're coming back as ghosts, though. I feel like they have to be, right? I mean, I'm sure they're around the farm somewhere, you know? They gotta be. Oh, wow. What a story. I'm so glad that you told that because I had never heard of them before. So, me neither. Yeah. Cool. As sad as it was, I, I truly enjoyed that story. Yes. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you crazy kids, it's been a been a fun one vermont is packed full of hauntings Mm -hmm. and all things spooky Mm -hmm. send us those stories to the golden ghouls podcast at gmail.com we want to have another ghoul talk soon so send them to us also haven't said this in forever but rate review subscribe yeah tell all your friends to do the same thing because when you rate or review actually like write a review it it shows other people who are interested in similar podcasts us and then more people hear about us and then who knows what happens next but you know anyway and if you send us proof that you wrote a review we'll send you a sticker so oh. what what could be better we what love more stickers. could you want yeah <laughs> all right you crazy kids i'm getting out of here until next time stay spooky Ooh. Ooh.